Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Well, we've been in this series called It's Not You, It's Me. And uh, this series has been uh, taking a look at uh, really four aspects of God's love. And we've kind of taken creatively, we've kind of taken the infamous breakup line. Um, oh, it has nothing to do with you that our relationship is stopping. It's just, it's just me. It's just kind of the season I'm in or whatever. And, and, and we're redeeming the infamous breakup line and turning it into the greatest pickup line of all time where God looks at you and I, and he says, it's not you. It has nothing to do with you and your actions and whether you get it right or wrong all the time, but it has everything to do with me, that I love you no matter what. And so we've been taking a look at that uh, in this series. Uh, We've kind of had a little bit of fun um, uh, creatively titling each week. And uh, we thought, hey, we'll take a look at some of the famous 80s love songs and uh, use those as a way to kind of frame each day. And so uh, in week one, we kicked off with uh, Foreigner and the topic was, I want to know what love is. Like, don't you just want to start singing it like right now? And, uh, and here's what we talked about in that week one. The takeaway was that love isn't something God does, it's who he is. Like in the context of God, love isn't a verb, it's a noun. It's who he is, which means that it doesn't matter what we do and how many times we fall short, it doesn't change the fact that God loves us. In week two, last week, Andrea um, used uh, Journey and the song Open Arms, and she looked at the prodigal son, and uh, the takeaway from that was that God loves us even when we don't love him. Today, we're going to get a little bit of help from John Cougar Mellencamp, and uh, here's what what we're going to frame today's topic, the song that we're going to frame it from. Go ahead, guys. So Hebrews, we're going to hang out in Hebrews chapter 12, so you can start getting ready for that. Uh, The title of today's message is Hurt So Good. Hurt So Good. You kind of, you didn't think this was coming on a love series, but Hurt So Good. Well, hey, let's prepare our hearts for what he wants to say to us today. Uh, Say this out loud with me, church family. Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive and the courage to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you a little story about um, a little girl named Emily. Emily was uh, in the backyard with her mom. Her mom was back there picking flowers, and Emily was a toddler, and you know how toddlers get. They're curious. They kind of move around. If you don't uh, pay attention, uh, they'll disappear on you. Um, that's why some people put their toddlers on leashes at the mall, right? <laughs> um, but little Emily uh, was playing in the backyard, this uh, family's yard backed up to train tracks. And so as her mom was picking flowers, she 
ventured out onto the train tracks and began to play on the tracks. Mom had no idea what was happening, but just down the tracks was a 6,000 ton train that uh, was headed straight toward little Emily. She's there playing, and the engineer looks down the track and sees something on the track and assumes that it's an animal that at some point, as the animal hears the train coming, uh, is going to kind of scurry off the track. As they start getting a little bit closer, it's the conductor, his name was Robert, Vietnam vet, looks down and sees that little, sees blonde hair, sees bright clothes and begins to yell at the engineer, stop the train. As you can imagine, 6,000 ton train doesn't, uh, doesn't stop too easily going down the tracks. And so as the train began to get closer and closer to little Emily, Robert gets out of the train, walks down the catwalk, and as the train began to get closer and closer to little Emily, it began to slow down, but there was no way that it was going to be able to stop in time. And here's what Robert, Vietnam vet, thinks quickly on his feet, sticks out his foot and kicks little Emily, this little toddler, right in the face. Kicks her right in the face, knocks her down the embankment, jumps off the train, goes down, picks up little Emily in order to console her. Thankfully for Emily, all that she experienced that day was some scratches on the forehead, a broken tooth, and a bruised lip. And I think what we kind of see from this story is that Emily had no idea how blessed she would be that day to get kicked in the face. (laughs) You see, for Emily, what seemed to be a painful experience from her point of view, getting kicked in the face, chipping a tooth, swollen lips, from Robert's point of view was an act of compassion. Because for him, he risked his life in order to save hers. And so I guess these words from John Cougar Mellencamp could be right, that sometimes love doesn't feel like it should. You know, I, th- I think that when it comes to understanding God's love, I think that it could be similar in nature, that sometimes in our life, along the journey of life, that the most loving thing that God can do in our lives is to give us a little spiritual kick in the face so that you and I don't get ran over by the flesh train coming our way. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said that the willingness to administer pain to prevent a greater harm is a mark of true love. And today, I want to I introduce you to an aspect of God's love that, that, to be honest, most of us wished that we didn't have to experience in our life. 
Like we wish that we didn't have to experience God's uh, discipline, his spiritual kick in the face, so to speak, in our own lives. But what we're going to discover through this text in Hebrews 12 is that when we choose to submit ourselves to that process, to his discipline, instead of fight against it, that it has the power to radically transform our lives. So we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 12 and as you're kind of getting there, little backstory. So Hebrews was written by the apostle Paul who was writing to encourage some Jewish Christians. Now these Christians at the time were going through a lot of difficulty. Um, a lot of things were happening in their lives. They were losing uh, property. They were losing loved ones. They were losing friends. And what began to happen in their mind was they began to see all the things, the negative things that they were experiencing as a sign that God didn't love them. And so they do what many of us do when we feel that way. They had this desire to go back to the old covenant, to go back to the old days, the way that they used to live. And so I want you to notice in this passage of scripture that we read today, I want you to pay attention um, to this theme. And so if you're going to check out for the rest of the service, this is the one thing that I want you to walk away with, all right? The one thing, and it's this, that God disciplines us for something, not because of something. That he disciplines us because he recognizes your potential, he knows your purpose, and he recognizes, just like C.S. Lewis said, he recognizes that if he allows us to go down a certain path in our lives, we will miss the mark. And so God will step in and he'll give us a little spiritual kick in the face from time to time. But what we're going to discover is a little broken tooth spiritually is worth living out and experiencing his amazing call and purpose for our life. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 5. It says, have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? That he said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those that he what? That he loves. And he punishes each one that he accepts as his child. Now it says a little bit about who Paul is that Paul would look at that kind of um, statement from Jesus and say, hey, this is, this is an encouraging moment. This is, an encour this is a halftime pump-up speech for your life. Like, it says a little bit about Paul and keeping in mind all of what Paul had gone through and experienced in his life. But what we see in that scripture, if you'll put it back up again, is we see two wrong responses to the discipline that we experience in our lives. The two wrong ways approaches for us is that we make light of it and that we give up. Making light meaning that we, we don't value the process, the journey that God has 
on our lives. We're not recognizing that. And then secondly, that we give up. That when things get difficult, when we face um, seasons in our life that are painful, when we are walking this process out of, of God shaping and forming us into his image, which always, any kind of chipping away in our life is always painful, right? And what he says is that one of the wrong responses is to give up, to lose motivation, to throw in the towel. He uses this in, this next, in the next part of verse um, six that's there is the word disciplines and punish. Now, those two words have an interesting uh, definition in the original language that discipline means to train up a child so that they will mature and realize their full potential. And then punish means to send severe pain in order to benefit in the long run. And so we see here in this that for the Lord disciplines those he loves as he punishes each one he accepts as his child, that both of those words are speaking about what's best for us, not necessarily in the moment, but what's best for us down the road of our journey. And I think the reason why Paul looks at this and he uses this word encouraging, like it's an encouraging word for you. Like, I think the reason why he does that is because he knows that God's ultimate desire for our life, it's not happiness, it's fruitfulness. It's not that everything goes smooth. It's not that every time we leave the house, we're in a great mood and things are going well. It's that you and I will produce more fruit in our lives. And what did Jesus say in John 15 about that process? That the only way that we can produce more fruit is if we are being pruned spiritually. It's this idea of, of discipline, of, of things in our life that are not of God, that are not like him. And he allows us to go through these seasons of this kind of cutting away of that so that you and I can be more fruitful in our lives. Paul goes on to write in verse seven, he says, now as you endure this divine discipline, now that's a good way to put it, divine discipline. He says this, he says, you've got to remember. As you're walking through that season, you can't lose sight of the fact that God is treating you as his own children. You think of your relationship with your kids, like, like when your kid was a toddler and put their hand up on the stove, the hot stove, you smacked it away. Why did you smack it away? Not because you don't love that precious little hand. You smacked it away because you love that precious little hand. A little pain in the moment for the child was a discipline that they needed to know to not touch the hot stove. And so we see Paul saying, you've got to remember that when you walk through difficulty in your life, that God is treating you as his own children. He says, whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? Now, obviously he did not serve as a teacher and administrator in, in the 21st century school system. Um, teachers, admins, we love you guys. Um, he's like, whoever heard of that? He goes on to say in verse eight, that if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, he says, this is what it means. Like it means you're an illegitimate 
and are not really his children at all. Yesterday, I had to go to Walmart. <laughs> oh, man. It's something's not been scheduled right in your week when you got to go to Walmart. And I went to Walmart and I got some, I got some groceries and I'm walking through Walmart and I'm like, I'm hearing this like faint scream noise. And as I get closer and closer to this aisle, it becomes like louder and louder. And, and it was this kid with his parents and I mean, he, he didn't get something he wanted. And so he's throwing this tantrum throughout Walmart, like screaming. And I'm like five aisles away and this kid is screaming. And everybody I pass is like looking around, like what in the world is, is going on? And, and, and do you know why I didn't walk up to that kid and do what my grandfather did to me when I lived with him, which has told me, hey, go outside and, 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 and break a switch off the tree. Anybody have to break a switch off the tree in their day? Gosh, I, I don't know. Like as a kid, I thought the key to minimizing pain with a switch was to make it smaller. <laughs> Woo, learned that lesson. Like I'd rather get a two by four on the rear side now than I would be like this the skinny old switch. But the reason why I didn't go up to the kid and be like, go pick a tree off or a switch off the tree was because he wasn't my kid. Like, wouldn't that be weird? Like you parents would like have such a hard time if some random person starts walking up, disciplining your kids. There's a reason why, because they're not my kids. And we see Paul like speaking towards this idea in this text and and he's like, listen, you should be more concerned if you're not being disciplined by God, then you should be concerned if you're being disciplined by God. He says in verse nine, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years Look at this, doing the best that they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Now, I want to say just before we move any further that the reality is, is that some of us in this room, when we read a statement like that, we struggle with that. Because where Paul is looking at it from the perspective in his day, where it seems like every father would have the best interest of their children at heart and would discipline them the best that they knew how, some of you in this room, you hear that and you think, well, there was no good in the way that I was disciplined. Like for some of you in this room, you were abused you were mistreated all in the name of, of discipline. And my challenge to you is to understand that they were imperfect. The Bible says the best that they knew how. And eh, that could be even a stretch for some of you on what you experienced in your life. But I think that we've got to get to a place to where we don't look at God's discipline through the lens of what happened with our earthly parents that we understand that God's discipline, as it says there, that it's always good for us. 
And we see Paul make this clear distinction of, of, of how we were parented versus how God parents us. I mean, I think of we've told our kids on numerous occasions, we've told them, listen, if you grow up and you need less counseling than we needed, then we want as parents. Like that's, I don't know if that's a low bar, but that's the bar that we've set. Listen, we've had to experience, we've had to go through counseling and our position with our kids is if you can go through less counseling than we had to, then we are winners as parents. Right? And the, and the truth is, is we, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. There's things that, that we have done along the way that as, they, as Jeremiah gets older and he moves out of the house and he's able to be like, no longer do I have to do this or that because my parents tell me to, like I'm my own man. Like there's, there's going to be an element of how he raises his kids that are gonna, it's going to be contrary to the way some of the ways that we raise them right? Because we're not perfect. We do the best that we can. And so our win is, listen, less counseling for you than, than we had. But you notice there that he says that God's discipline, that it's always good. It's always in our benefit. It makes me think of uh, David. And we tell the Bible stories about David killing Goliath, right? And man, the courage that it took David to be able to slay that giant so much bigger at such a young age when all these grown men were scared to death to do anything about it. And he steps in and, and has got the courage to do it. And we, we build that up and we think, man, if I could just have the strength, if I could just have the courage of, of David to be able to fight my Goliaths, the things that come against my life that are way bigger that I can't figure out how to do or how to accomplish, if I could just have that strength. But we overlook, we overlook the process that David went through when the lion and the bear tried to attack the flock and make pork chops out of his family's uh, flock. And we overlook the fact that maybe that experience of killing the lion and killing the bear was a, a process that God had David through so that at one point he would develop the courage and develop the faith and trust in God in that season that he would see how God would be with him in a way to be able to protect the flock so that when he stood before the Goliath in his life, he had something in his rearview mirror to look back on and say, if God could be with me in that moment, if I could endure and make it through that moment, then surely he will be with me in this moment. And so there is this idea of our lives that God, why did we name our church Transformation Church? Because it's not about getting saved and then staying the same way the rest of our life. It's about our lives becoming more and more like Christ. It's a transformation process. And we experience difficulty in our lives and it, it is painful and it, and it hurts and, and 
Maybe you've gone through periods of darkness in your life because of that. But if we will submit to it instead of fight against it, then God can use that to transform us, to cut away the areas of our life, to prune us, the areas that are not like him, so that as we progress through the purpose and the plan that he has for us, that we could stand in a future season strengthened more than in a previous season because we submitted to his discipline in our lives. We get so enamored by stuff other people do and what they have in their lives and we're like, man, we want that and we want that and we want that, but we're never willing to go through the process to get to that point. And unfortunately, that's a part of our culture today. Like, I think that started when the microwave was developed, right? We've gone from home-cooked meals where our parents spend two hours laboring for this amazing meal to throwing something in the microwave and having it done in three minutes. Like three minutes, peel back, stir, one minute, good. (laughs) And we want that in our lives, right? We want that to reflect our spiritual lives with God. Like, like God, I want the blessing. I I want pour down, overflowing, running over. Like, I want all of that, God, right? But every time the bucket goes by, we're like looking to make change, not make a donation in there. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it comes from, the process comes from obedience. Obedience. What was God's promise in Romans 8, 28? That he would cause everything. All the good in our life and all the bad in our life that he would cause everything to work together for the good of those that are called according to his purpose. And we see here in verse 10, we see the purpose behind God's discipline in our life. It says that we might share in his holiness. That there is a purpose, the share in a purpose of the discipline, a a purpose of the difficult seasons that we might share in his holiness. And listen, I think that word has been so abused and misrepresented through the years to where it, it, it reflects like how long your dress is, whether you have makeup on or not, and the three piece suit and, and holiness has this kind of outward kind of you know, perception of how we live our life. And it so misses the mark of what the actual word means in the Bible, that it means a setting apart. Look at this, for a special purpose. What is holiness? It's that I am set apart for a special purpose. In other words, I'm no longer living my life for the little K kingdom my kingdom, what I want, where I want to go, like what I want my family to look like, what I want my finances to look like. Like I'm no longer living for that, but I've been set apart. I've been set apart for a special purpose, which is building the big K kingdom, his kingdom, like living my life in such a way that I can bring as many people with me to heaven, like living that kind of way. And here's what Paul says. And the worship team is going to kind of head back as I land the plane. He says this in verse 11. He says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. Friend, Paul, understatement of the year. 
understatement of the year, like no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening, of course. But look what he says. If you got your Bible, circle the word afterward. But afterward, on the other side, not right there in the moment, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the worry and the fear, like not in that moment, but when you get to the other side, like for David, not when the, the lion and the bear are attacking, but when he stands on the edge looking out at Goliath and everybody's scared to death and he's like, I got this. Like afterward, on the other end, it says there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Friend, if the purpose of discipline in our lives is to get our heart aligned with his heart so that we can represent the kingdom of heaven everywhere that we go in the way that I want my kids to represent the Kramer family everywhere that they go, then the promise of that discipline is this, is that as a result of living that way of submitting to his discipline instead of fighting against it, that as a result, our lives become, have greater purpose, have greater meaning, and have greater significance. And Paul is like, he's like, listen, we're never going to experience that promise in our lives until we allow ourselves to be trained in this way. Another way to say it is we're choosing to submit instead of fight. And when we choose to be trained in that way, then and only then can we look back and be, check this out, and be thankful Thankful for the difficult seasons. That's a hard place to get to. But when we submit to his discipline and we recognize that he's going to work it all out for our good in the long run, then it no longer becomes our responsibility to fix it. It becomes our responsibility to guard our heart through it. It makes me think of boot camp when you think of the word train and how soldiers, recruits will, will have to go through boot camp. The purpose of boot camp and the insanely painful experience isn't to kill the recruit, but it's to prepare the recruit for the types of tactical movements and experiences that they will face in combat. And so here's what the spiritual boot camp instructor, the Apostle Paul, says to his recruits. He says this Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Take a new grip with your tired hands 
and strengthen your weak knees. And maybe there's some of you here today and you're walking through this season of difficulty in your life and you've grown weak and tired and wondering if things are ever gonna change. Like it feels like you're gonna be in this season, feels like you're gonna have these emotions that it feels like you're gonna keep butting your head against the wall, like it's never gonna change. And Paul is saying to you and me today that if that is you and if that is the season that you're in, he doesn't say that it's gonna necessarily change in the moment, but he says, take a new grip. Take those tired hands and those weak knees that are shaken and recommit, reaffirm your trust and your faith in God that he's gonna work all of this out for your good and that at the end of the day, that you're gonna be, you're gonna resolve in your heart and your mind that God's got it and I trust him. Two thousand six, Andrew and I were approached by the fellowship, the denomination that we we're a part of, to plant a church in Tampa. And if you know me, if you've been around, like, uh, like. That was like severe introvert days. Like I'm, I'm still, that's still part of how God has wired me and it's his strength and his anointing to kind of, to, to pull me out of that. But at the end of the day, if I want to recharge, I'm not around people, I'm by myself. Um, and we were approached to, to plant a church, a new church and we're a part of a fellowship, a, a church at the time that we loved. And, and we spent time, we prayed, we fasted, we sought counsel from people that were close to us. And at the end of the day, we felt like God was, was, was really throwing out a, a dare, a challenge that, that are you going to be obedient and take the step of what I'm I'm leading you into and, and, and we take a step of faith and, and we step out and we begin the process. We relocate our family and, and the months leading up to the first service, like a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of effort, like 12 to 18 hour days of just, just constantly just grinding, trying to get things in place. And, and then we have a first service and and uh, we had 82 people show up at our first service, which I think the average church in America is like under 80. And the message, the sermon was so good, that first service, that guess how many people came back? 38. <laughs> 38. Went backwards. And we began this process of pastoring this new, 
this new church and we were having to meet on Saturday nights because we couldn't afford um, any place on Sundays. And what we didn't realize is that as we began to, to, to get weeks into this new church, that the people that we were attracting, and it was not our desire to do this, the people that we were attracting were other church people. And because our church was on a Saturday night, they would come to our services on Saturday night, and then they would go to their church and give and serve. And what ended up happening is we got like no traction whatsoever. And we got probably four or five months into that. Spiritually speaking, my hands were getting tired. My, my knees were, were weak. Like we were just, like it just, just depression and just, you know, feeling like, God, we've been, we've been obedient. We took a step of faith out. And then all of a sudden the carpets pulled out from under us. And you know what it did? I didn't take a new grip, I quit. And it took me four years, even working at a church, four years of unforgiveness and bitterness towards God. God, we did our part, like we prayed about it, we fasted about it, we sought counsel about it, we took a step of faith to be obedient, and then all of a sudden the carpet gets pulled out from under us. And it wasn't until, and this was unplanned, but it wasn't until a trip that Pastor Terrell took me on to Virginia that I just happened to, to have my own hotel room and there was a break in the day. And we came back and we had like three or four hours before the evening session. And I came in and I laid down to take a nap. And it was like, I don't know if you've ever had this kind of experience in your life, but it was like, it was like that whole thing was orchestrated for that very moment. And I got up and I opened my Bible and I began to read. And for the next three hours, I laid my face on the floor and I cried. And I asked God for forgiveness, for my unforgiveness towards him. And it was like a, it was a transformational moment in my life that allowed me to get to the afterwards moment of where I could look back outside of the pain and I could recognize that the reason why we went through what we went through and the reason why it was a season that we needed in our life was because there was pride that God needed to break off of my life. And I can look back now and it's not like I loved the moment, but I can be thankful for the experience because I recognize that I would have been ran over by the flesh train and would have never been able to walk in the path, the perfect path that God has for my life with that residue in my heart. 
And maybe that's why James said in James chapter one, verse three through four, for you know that when your faith is tested, and maybe there's some of you here today and that's where you're at. Like your faith is being tested. But he says, understand that your endurance in those seasons has a chance to grow. And so James says, let it grow. Take a new grip. For when your endurance is fully developed, that you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Church, I don't know what season you're in and I don't know if you're in a disciplined season, but I do know this, that if you'll submit to it instead of fight it, if you'll make room for what God wants to do in your heart and in your lives, that at the end of the day, when you get to the other side of it, you'll be able to look back and be thankful for it and recognize that you are more complete and more perfect, needing nothing because of all that God has done in your life through the process. Would you stand with us today? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.